In your Bibles tonight, Nehemiah chapter number 2, I'd like to read this chapter to you. Our message comes from the first 10 verses. And just a little uh, update and context, we meet in chapter number 1, Nehemiah, who is the king's cupbearer to a Persian king named Artaxerxes. And uh, Nehemiah is a captive in a foreign land. But he gets word as one of his brothers comes through, he gets word that the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt. He asks about the condition of his city, the, the, the place of his birth, God's land, God's people. And when he finds out that for more than 100 years no one has taken the initiative to build back the walls of Jerusalem, God begins to put a great burden in his heart. Now, he was a cupbearer. This was a man that was entrusted in a big way in the king's house. He had a great job and profession, especially for someone that was a foreigner in a foreign land. But God began to work in his heart and deal in his heart. And uh, Nehemiah did what all Christians should do when God begins to burden their hearts about something. He prays, and he prays the Lord and asks God to help him. And God's at work in Nehemiah's heart, and uh, he's been praying, and he's been waiting for like four months. And we turn the page from chapter 1 to chapter 2, and four months' time has passed since he's prayed and asked the Lord in this prayer we read. He's been war- God's been working his heart, and we come to chapter 2, verse number 1. And the Bible says, It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the twentieth year of Artaxerxes the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king, now, I had not been before time sad in his presence. Wherefore, the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? This is nothing else but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid and said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad? When the city, the place of my father's sepulchers, lieth waste, And the gates thereof are consumed with fire. Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said unto the king, If it please the king, and if thy servants have found favor in thy sight, that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, For how long shall thy journey be? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me. And I set him a time. Moreover, I said unto the king, If it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river, that they may convey me over till I come into Judah. And a letter unto Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall enter into. And the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. Then I came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent captains of the army and horsemen with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite heard of it, it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. Then I rose in the night, I and some few men with me. Neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Neither was there any beast with me, save the beast that I rode upon. 
And I went out by night by the gate of the valley, even before the dragon well, and to the dung port, and viewed the walls of Jerusalem, which were broken down, and the gates thereof were consumed with fire. Then I went on to the gate of the fountain, and to the king's pool. But there was no place for the beast that was under me to pass. Then went I up in the night by the brook, and viewed the wall, and turned back, and entered by the gate of the valley, and so returned. And the rulers knew not whither I went or what I did, neither had I as yet told it to the Jews, nor to the priests, nor to the nobles, nor to the rulers, nor to the rest that did the work. Then said I unto them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the servant, the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arabian heard it, they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said, What is this thing? That ye do, will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them, and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. But ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. I love this. Nehemiah, he shares his burden his heart's desire with the men, the people, who are actually going to rebuild the walls. And the Bible says in verse 18, they said, let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. And then the Bible says in verse number 20, when he was criticized by Sanballat, the Horonite, Tobiah, the servant of the Ammonite, and Geshem, when being criticized, Nehemiah says, the God of heaven, verse 20, he will prosper us. Therefore, we, his servants, will arise and build. Tonight's message is titled this, Let us rise up and build. Let us rise up and build. The emphasis here in this passage of Scripture was that Nehemiah had put in the heart of, I'm sorry, that God had put in the heart of Nehemiah, let us rise up and build. God had put a big, uh, big plan and a great burden in Nehemiah's heart, and he begins the process of moving forward to obey and do the work that God had put in his heart to do. He says, let us rise up and build. The people said, let us rise up and build. And tonight I want to bring this message titled, let us rise up and build. It's probably part one of at least two in this chapter. And I want to preach it like this. When we decide in our hearts that we're going to do something for God, attempting a work for God, there are some things that it brings and there are some things that we can pay attention to. And we're going to look at it here in our text tonight. Let us rise up and build. Attempting a work for God, there are some things that it brings. The first thing that attempting a work for God brings, number one, is waiting. 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 We love to wait, right? 
It's fascinating to me how often I feel like I talk about waiting. Uh, but my pattern, the way we try to do things around here is we're just preaching the Bible and preaching through the Bible. And as you preach through the Bible, I'm going to tell you something. It, you don't turn many pages in the Scripture without looking and finding and seeing that God requires His people to have periods and seasons of waiting. Waiting in the Bible for God's people is always good. I have a hard time swallowing that sometimes. You may find it hard to believe, but I don't like waiting. As a matter of fact, I would much rather be doing than waiting. I'd rather be moving than standing still. But waiting is something that happens with God's people. And I'll show it to you in the Bible. The Bible says in verse 1 here, It came to pass in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of Artaxerxes, the king, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it unto the king. Now I had not been before time sad in his presence. There's an emphasis here on the specific date in which Nehemiah is going to talk to the king. A very specific date that Nehemiah is going to talk to the king. And it makes us go back to a previous date that is mentioned in chapter number 1. And we understand that four months' time passes between the end of chapter number 1 and the beginning of chapter number 2. In the end of chapter number 1, the, the Bible says, and in verse number 11, it says, O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper. I pray thee, thy servant this day, grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. As he begins to pray... Nehemiah understands I have got one giant hurdle ahead of me in regards to what God has began to work in my heart. I'm going to have to have the favor of the king in order to do what I want to do. And so he makes it a matter of prayer. And for four months, Nehemiah prays and waits on God. Folks, I want you to know waiting on God is something that is absolutely necessary if you are going to know and do the will of God. There's a period of waiting about so many things. And if you don't know what to do, wait. If you're uncertain of what the next move is, I say to you, wait. Now, some folks want to wait and never do anything. That's not what God calls us to do. But God does call us to wait on God. Wait on God. I've heard the testimony of many Christians through my uh, life and men who want to invest and, say, and teach me something. And I've heard them say, I got ahead of God. I should have waited on the Lord. And I want you to know something. Waiting on God is great. If you want God's best in your life, there is going to be seasons of waiting. There's going to be seasons of waiting. Let me encourage you. If there's something you want really bad and you know it's right in God's will, you be willing to wait on God to give you exactly what he wants you to have. I'm thankful that God gave me courage to wait to meet the right person to marry. I'm thankful that so much of the high school flings and this and that, the flirts and the, uh, and the little girlfriend and boyfriend things. I'm so thankful that I was willing to wait on God to bring about the right person. And God provided for me a beautiful wife, the perfect wife for me. And I'm thankful for that. Waiting was good. I'm thankful that God gave me the courage and caused me to wait on the right opportunities to serve him. 
And my testimony is, is one of many, but waiting on God is good. If you're tempted to try to get something you want in a sinful way, you are not waiting. Wait on God. And Nehemiah, he had to wait on the Lord. Now what Nehemiah wanted to do was very noble to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. To do the work of God, it was very noble. But God required Nehemiah to wait and pray until the right time came. The question must follow, when will we know the right time? I can't tell you when the right time is, but I'll tell you this. God will let you know when the right time to act and move and do is. You can wait on the Lord and you can be confident of the fact that God is going to open up the right doors when he wants you to go through them. You wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord and renew your strength. Wait on the Lord and see his will complete in your life. When you decide to do a great work for God, you know what it's going to require? You know what it's going to bring? Waiting. You know, we get fired up in our hearts to do something great for God. And immediately we want to charge hell with a squirt gun. But all great works for God bring waiting. It seems, seems counterproductive, doesn't it? But waiting on God is always good. Let us rise up and build. Attempting a work for God brings waiting. Number two, attempting a work for God brings a burden. It brings a burden. Look at the Bible says in verse number two. In verse 2, the scripture says, Wherefore the king said unto me, Why is thy countenance sad? Now for four months, Nehemiah has been praying for this. The first time he hears about the condition of the walls of Jerusalem, he weeps and mourns for a length of time. He's been able to suck it up, dry it up, and not act sad in front of the king for four months. Finally, the burden, the waiting, I'll tell you, it was God showing Nehemiah that the time had come. The waiting had come to an end, and on this particular day, Nehemiah, he couldn't stand the burden anymore, and the sadness of his face and the burden of his heart for the walls of Jerusalem, it was there, and there was nothing else he could do. He had to act. Something had to change. Burdens. You know, God gives us burdens Folks don't like to hear that sometimes, but God gives us burden. God will give you a burdened heart about a need. God will give you a burden about something that needs to be accomplished. God will put on your heart something that needs to be done. And God gave Nehemiah a burden. On this particular day, in verse number 2, Nehemiah couldn't hold it. He couldn't hide it anymore. And it showed up on his countenance. He had a burden. The scripture says in verse number 2, Wherefore the king said to me, Why is thy countenance sad, seeing thou art not sick? Why are you sad looking? You're not sick. And then the king, God gives the king some wisdom. The king says to Nehemiah, this is nothing else but sorrow of heart. He said, you've got a burden on your heart. You're sorrowing in your heart. How many of you experienced sorrow in your heart? He says, you're sorrowing in your heart. I don't know if the king thought maybe that Nehemiah's girlfriend had broke up with him or something like that and he was having sorrow of heart. But the sorrow of heart that Nehemiah was experiencing was he had a great burden to help people. Folks, let me tell you something. When God calls you to do something for him, it is always going to include blessing and being a blessing to other people. It's always going to include working and sharing the gospel with the lost. It's always going to include investing in the lives of God's people. God's work is a call to serve God's people, all people, and share the gospel. He had a burdened heart. 
He said, this is nothing else, verse number two, but sorrow of heart. Then I was very sore afraid. He said, oh, no, I've messed up. You see, to be in the presence of a Persian king, it was a, it was a, a touchy thing. If you acted sad in the presence of the king, it could become something that was very offensive to the king. And the king had authority to take your life at any moment. And so Nehemiah is afraid. He's like, oh, man, I've let my emotions show, and I've shown sorrow in front of the king. How in the world are we going to deal with this? And he says, I'm just going to have to answer the king honestly, and the burden of his heart continues to come out in verse number 3. Nehemiah said unto the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my countenance be sad when the city, the place of my father's sepulchres, lieth waste, and the gates thereof are consumed with fire? He says, Why shouldn't I be of sorrowful countenance? Why shouldn't I have a sorry heart? He says, My heritage, my family, the land of my fathers is in total waste. I love the fact that Nehemiah was burdened about his heritage, that he was burdened about his God, that he was burdened about the condition of the people that he loved, that God had put in his heart. I think it's absolutely right when God begins to burden Christian people's hearts about the need of their own folks. About the need of their own folks. Their own people. You know, God will put a burden in your heart for your people. And you should be burdened for your people. You should be burdened for your family. You should be burdened for the lost in your community. You should be burdened for your classmates. You should be burdened. You see, when you want to attempt something for the Lord, it's going to bring a burdened heart. And Nehemiah's heart was overflowing with burden and concern. A burdened heart is something that God uses. God uses people with compassion and tears to win the lost. A burdened heart. He said, let us rise up and build. When you attempt a work for God, it brings waiting. It brings burden. Number three, it brings favor. I love this idea here. It brings favor. So Nehemiah's grand concern now is, I have acted sad in front of a Persian king. You're not supposed to do that. Secondly, my, his concern was, I've actually told the king that I've got a problem. I've told the king that I have a burden. I have a burden for my home, my people, a foreign land. And now Nehemiah just has to wait. He said in the end of chapter number one, he says, I'm the king's cupbearer. I got a big problem. I've got to do something about my job. I got to do something about my boss. I got to get some help from the king. He said, without the king's favor, I can't do this work. And so the Bible says in verse before, then the king said unto me, for what dost thou make request? In verse number four, he said, the king says, what do you want? Nehemiah, I hear your burden. What can I do for you? How can I help you? And look what Nehemiah does. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Immediately, the king asked him a question and says, what can I do? What, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah's like, so I just prayed. I prayed. Now, this is a fascinating thing about prayer. I want you to note something about Nehemiah. In chapter number one, Nehemiah prays a prayer that's two or three paragraphs long. He prays a prayer in desperation. Then for four months, there's evidence and proof that for four months, Nehemiah prayed and carried this burden and took it to God. But then, 
When the king asked him, what can I do to help you? Nehemiah prayed. I want you to know something. Nehemiah didn't get down on his knees. He didn't pull out his prayer cloth. He didn't. He just said, Lord, help me. I'm pretty sure it doesn't say that. But he prayed, Lord, help me. You know something wonderful about prayer? Prayer doesn't have just one appearance. Prayer doesn't have just one appearance. And we learn to pray. We learn to pray appropriately. And we learn to pray fervently. We learn to pray without ceasing. And Nehemiah is praying at this moment. Earlier he would prayed with mourning and weeping. He would prayed lengthy times and uh, and consistently about his burden for four months. But now he's praying, Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. And as while he's praying, God has put in his heart what he needs to say. And God's going to give him favor with the king. So I prayed, verse 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, I said to the king, if it please the king, and if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, that I would have sent me unto Judah, unto the city of my father's sepulchers, that I may build it. He said, king, what I really want, is I'd love for you to give me a leave of absence. I'd be honored if you would let me leave and go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, my city, that I may build it. The Bible says in verse 6, can you imagine the stress in Nehemiah's heart at this moment? Maybe he was perfectly trusting in the Lord, but I imagine that Nehemiah was a little bit scared and anxious. In that that little transition, he says, I've told the king what I want. I've mentioned to him what I need. Can you imagine for that moment while the king prepared his answer, he was like, oh, man, what's he going to say? What's he going? How many of you ever, ever petitioned somebody? And thought, oh, man, what are they going to say? What are they? Here he is. And the Bible says in verse 6, And the king said unto me, the queen also sitting by him, I guess that makes it more nerve-wracking. The queen's there. For how long shall thy journey be? This is what he says. He says, all right, Nehemiah, how long are you going to be gone? How long is your journey going to be? You know what what that is? That's yes, you can go. How long are you going to be gone? And when wilt thou return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I set him a time. God gave him favor. The king said, go for it. I think that's a great thing for you to do. And then look what Nehemiah does. I think this is so exciting. Nehemiah, after the king said yes, Nehemiah doesn't hesitate one bit. The next thing Nehemiah says, well, king, if I'm going, I'm going to need some more help from you. He starts letting the king know what he needs in verse number Seven. Moreover, I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters be given me to the governors beyond the river that they may convey me over till I come to Judah. He says, what I need, king, is I need letters for every governor of every country that I'm going to pass through between here and Judah. There was a, it was an 800-mile trip from where King Artaxerxes was to Jerusalem. And over those 800 miles, he's going to pass through multiple countries. He said, king, I need letters addressed to every governor of every province and every country that I'm going to go through. I need your help. And so the king said, sure, I'll give you some letters. He says, not only that, king, I need a little something else too. You know if you're going to rebuild a city wall, I'm going to need some lumber. And you, king, you have a forest. He says, I also need a letter because I'm going to need some timber. He says in verse 8, he said, he said, also, king, I need a letter unto Asaph the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the palace which appertained to the house and for the wall of that city and for the house that I entered into. And according and the king granted me according to the good hand of my God upon me. 
Look what happened. God gave Nehemiah favor. When you attempt a work for God, you're going to bring, it's going to bring waiting. It's going to bring a burden. You know something else it's going to bring? It's going to bring favor. You know something that is absolutely necessary in the work of the Lord, a work of the church, is God must give the church favor with people in order to do the work that God's given them to do. And you know what's exciting? God gives favor. God gives favor. It's exciting when you embark on a new endeavor. Now, look, I know we're in the process here of of doing some exploring on building a new building. And that's not exactly why I'm preaching Nehemiah. I promise you, I'm not trying to butter the bread or get folks prepared for that. That's not how I work. But I feel led the Lord to talk about Nehemiah. And I do know this. As you attempt anything for God, and through the years as we've attempted things for God and and, and tried to please God and, and do things for God, I know this to be true. Waiting is necessary. Burdens are necessary. Favor is something that is necessary. And God provides it. It's exciting. It's exciting to know that as you embark on a journey to serve the Lord, God gives favor. It's Thrilling. And you know what you can do? You can just expect if you try to do something for God and His glory, God is going to give you favor with folks. Not only is He going to give you favor, He's going to give you favor with folks that have things you need. And God gave Nehemiah favor with this Persian king. The Persian king had certain things that was necessary. God gave Nehemiah favor as we look further into the story. God gave Nehemiah favor with workers. And he had a great host of people that he met in Jerusalem, folks who were willing to, in one hand, carry a sword, another hand carry a trowel. Folks were willing to do the work. God gave him favor. And you know what's exciting? When you embark to do something for God and its glory, you can bank on it. God is going to bless and give favor along the way to the hearts of people that need to help you. I'm thankful for that. It's a sweet thing to look at and know. It's a thing that gives us peace in our hearts as we move forward for the glory of God. Attempting a work for God, it will bring favor. Hallelujah. But finally, number four, attempting a work for God brings opposition. It's kind of fascinating to look at, but when you study God's word, every work for God seems to be met with some form of opposition. The king, King Artaxerxes, man, he is Two thumbs up, sure, you swing by the forest and get all the timber you need to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. I'd like to have seen what that truckload of timber looked like. But then, there's them. How many of you ever met them? You know, those folks that cause you grief and trouble. You can expect opposition. Look what the Bible says in verse 9. Then I came. That little, Those three little words are important. Nehemiah, he moved from a burden to action he came then i came to the governors beyond the river beyond the river is beyond the euphrates river then i came to the governors beyond the river and gave them the king's letters now the king had sent captains of the armies and horsemen with me when sanballat the horonite and tobiah the servant the ammonite heard of it it grieved them exceedingly that there was come a man to seek the welfare of the children of Israel. Isn't this amazing? Nehemiah is going to do attempting a great work for God. And as he gets close to the land of Judah, guess who he meets? Sanballat and Tobiah. 
We're going to see them on several occasions throughout our journey through the book of Nehemiah. And I want you to know something. Sanballat and Tobiah was a pain in Nehemiah's big right toe the whole process. They're terrible. Folks, let me tell you something. You can expect as you attempt to do things for God, big or small, you're going to run into opposition. But when you do, you remember something. You remember something. Every time you face opposition, it is not God saying, or I'm God's, God's punishment. It is not God saying, this is not right. Opposition is something that comes along that forces us to trust in the Lord. You see, God gives us favor and God gives us opposition. I learned a long time ago that I don't have the character, the Christian character, to serve God without opposition. What's that mean? I'll tell you. When everything's going perfect, perfect, perfect. When there's never, when there doesn't seem to be any problem ever. Any person that's a little bit rough or coarse or opposed. Anytime everything seems to be going just perfect. You know what? I get to feeling like, oh, Cody can do anything. But God sends a Sanballat and Tobiah wrong to humble me just enough to know that I need God. You know, anytime that you attempt to work for God, it's going to bring something. It's going to bring waiting. We've got to wait patiently on the Lord to know and do His will. It's going to bring burdens. Burdens are hard to carry at times. But burdens are good because burdens drive us to do something for the glory of God. It's going to bring favor. Oh, I'm so thankful for the loving favor of so many people through the years. It's also going to bring opposition. And Nehemiah faced all these things. But let me tell you something. God is going to do his work. And the Lord is going to use Nehemiah. And at the end of the process, Nehemiah is going to look back. And he's not going to say, man, Nehemiah was awesome. At the end of the process, Nehemiah looks back and says, what a mighty God we serve. May the Lord help us. Let us rise up and build. When you do, you attempt to do something for God. It's going to bring some things. But whatever it brings, we know God's grace is sufficient. Let's pray.